Hey, can I get a stool too? All right. So pay no attention to my stagehand here, Austin. He's great. <laughs> um, first of all, if you're brand new to Sunridge, welcome. We're so glad you're here. If this is your home church, thanks for coming back. Another Sunday. You guys are just amazing. Um, I want to tell you that uh, we're going to reach out to you to tell us how we're doing. And uh, so you're going to get a survey uh, through the e-blast this week if, you, if you're on our email list. It's also available right now online uh, under events at our website. And we'll have a paper version of it for those of you that, you know, you don't, you don't hang out online or anything. So we just, you know, like several years ago, we had a, com a consulting firm here. Uh, they're now known as Vital Church. And we did a survey then to tell us how we're doing. And uh, we, we want to revisit that. So we really want your input. It's a comprehensive survey. I'm telling you, it's going to take you a half hour to do it. Just telling you up front. But we really, really really want you to give us your input, and we really appreciate it. It will help us be a better church. It'll help me be a better pastor, and it'll help your staff uh, better serve you. So uh, please jump in when you get that notice, and for your overachievers, you can even go there today, like I said. So um, I wanted to tell you, uh, kind of like off of the baptisms today, like what an amazing church you guys are. Um, you know, we had kids that we baptized here that came through our children's ministry. Uh, we have folks that have uh, been touched through our adult ministry, and even like people that have just been touched by those of you being friendly here on Sunday morning. And so, you know, that all kind of ties into what I'm going to be talking about today. You should know that every year we do kind of a survey to determine like how many volunteer hours do people at Sunridge actually give. And so last year, this is a very conservative figure. We know that we're missing tons of stuff, but at least the stuff we capture. Um, we, last year, had over 32,000 volunteer hours given by over 600 people here at Sunridge. That's you guys. So you should applaud yourselves. Um, that's, that's just a remarkable effort. So thank you for that. You know, that ties into where we are today. Over the next two weeks, really, we're talking about servanthood. And, you know, we've been in a series uh, that's called Deeply Rooted. It's tied into uh, an accompanying 10-week uh, small group study, Rooted. Over 275 of you are doing that, and we're super stoked about that. Um, but, you know, God has called us to serve. And, you know, that's part of being deeply rooted. This, this series that we're doing is, is not just helping us identify what what does a deeply rooted faith look like? It's also telling us what are, the, what are the ways in which we can encourage and cultivate those roots of our faith going deep. And, and the calling of servanthood is definitely part of that. This week we're going to talk about the calling of servanthood. Next week we're going to talk about how we're equipped to be served. So it's really a two-parter looking at it from two different perspectives. But I want to drop into a scene from Jesus' life uh, with the disciples. And it's uh, only John. Uh, recorded this in his gospel. In John 13, uh, it says that it was just before the Passover feast. And Jesus knew uh, that, his, that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So context here is that this is likely the week of Jesus' crucifixion. So that's important as we process what we see happening here. Having loved his own who were in the world, verse 2, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And the evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So Jesus is very aware of what this week holds for him, that he will uh, be going to his Father. And he knows what that means. So what does he do? What do you do in the context of that kind of pressure, that kind of dark cloud looming and heading toward you? In verse 4, he gets up from the meal, takes off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And so this is one scene of foot washing in the Bible. You know that there are some traditions of faith that, that this is as much a sacrament, just like baptism and communion, the washing of feet. We don't do that here if you're new. I just want to tell you. If we ever did decide to do it, we would let you know in advance so you get your toenails all trimmed up and everything. <laughs> be looking much better than you would have had you not known. So, um, But this is uh, a very ordinary occurrence for them. You know, typically during this time... Uh, Regular people wore sandals. You know, there were no sidewalks and asphalt roads. They walked in the dirt. And so when they would enter a house, there were usually water pots located there where you could kind of clean up. And, you know, in the, some of the wealthier homes, they would actually have a servant that was there to help you wash your feet before you came in to the house and certainly uh, before a meal. But Jesus' team is super lean and mean, and evidently they haven't funded that position. So uh, what's happening here is a very typical scenario with an unusual spin to it, which is very like Jesus, to take this average thing and flip it on its head so that everybody's kind of off balance, and then he brings forward, you know, something that's really powerful for those that are with him. You know, like I said, this is very ordinary to have your feet washed, but what's unusual about this scenario is, one, who does it, Jesus, the Son of God, and their rabbi. And two, when it happens, it's mid-meal. Uh, so something's going on here. Either, you know, they were too hungry and tired to stop, and they just poured in and started eating. Uh, some scholars think that this is not just like personal hygiene, but it's uh, part of the ceremonial cleansing that's part of um, the Passover meal. But either way, Jesus stops in the middle. So he interrupts the natural way of doing things, and then he kind of flips it and teaches them a lesson. Uh, not like in a bad way. They learn something from this. Um, in verse 6, he comes to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, that's not just a question. That question by Peter is loaded with resistance. Are you going to wash my feet? And you'll see this in a minute. And then Jesus replies, uh, you don't realize what I'm doing, what, now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And Jesus' answer is loaded with meaning as well. Peter's question, loaded. Jesus' answer, loaded with meaning. Jesus says, you'll understand later. Which is reminiscent of something I think I heard my dad say like a thousand times. You'll understand later when you're older, blah, blah, blah. That's not, that's not what's happening here. Um, and it, it just reminds me of how often when we're in the middle of something, 
that we don't understand. The truth is, we will understand later. The truth is, if, if I continue to grow, if I continue to pursue Jesus, there are things that I don't understand now that I will understand more fully. There are things that we just learn later. But not Peter initially. In verse 8, he says, no, you will never wash my feet. And, you know, Peter's a pretty easy target, but um, have you ever found yourself, like, in a place that you don't understand, and you're debating God whether this thing should be in your life? That's what Peter's doing now. It's like, this is not my program, and yet you're doing it. So you won't get your way, God. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So I think there's a little humor there. Evidently, you don't, just by reading it. But um, and, and if for nothing else, you've got to give Peter credit. He flips, right? And, uh, and Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body's clean, and you're clean, though not every one of you. So, For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. So, like, there's a lot of layers going on here. So, again, it's like the, the scene here, given all the context, there are things going on that are under the surface. It's not just a meal with getting cleaned up. In verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place, and he said, do you understand what I've done for you? So if you're a teacher, you can see this. There was like an object lesson, and then the instructor, Jesus, stops, and he goes, do you get it? What just happened? Do you understand what I've done for you? And I don't know if this point, if they get you know, points for participation, a happy face on their discipleship chart, or uh, if anyone is even responding. You know, we don't even know the time gap here between verse 12 and verse 13, but hopefully there was some dialogue. I've led a lot of small groups. I've asked some questions and just laid there, and you got to move on. But Jesus stops them. And if nothing else, they're, they're thinking about and processing what just happened. If you were there, what would, what would you be thinking? And so it's like in this next part in verse 13, Jesus is saying, just in case you didn't grasp what just happened, I'm going to give you the answer. This is sort of the wrap-up. In verse 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Jesus is saying, if you didn't get it, here it is. You should wash one another's feet. And in the context, he's saying, you know, I know that you've been giving a lot of lip service to me, that I'm a great rabbi, and you followed me in and out a little bit. And I'm wondering, are you with me just because I'm a great communicator or I provide something else? Or you actually following me 
and seeking to do my will. Because what just happened wasn't just a ceremonial cleansing. It wasn't just about personal hygiene. He wasn't teaching a lesson on foot washing. You know, Jesus could be so simple and direct. This is not brain surgery here, you know. It's a very simple object lesson. And sometimes we can make following Jesus so complicated when really Jesus is boiling it down to the essence of we should wash one another's feet. The essence of servanthood. And, you know, when we hear that, just like I think, I think us like his disciples, um, we, have, we have different responses to that direct statement. Uh, it, it can make us uncomfortable. Like you just pushed into my space and said, you know, I, I, I should be a servant. Some, some might, it might even be a little more uncomfortable where you kind of bristle at the idea. It's like, ah, you know, it's like. And then there's some of you who are saying, yes, I, I want that. I, I want more of that. For the remaining time that we have, I'm going to try and crush this because I know we're running late because of the baptisms. But um, I want to I draw out three concepts that I think kind of rise to the top out of this object lesson that apply to servanthood to us today. Number one, and this is in your notes, every Christian is called to serve. Every Christian is called to serve. Verse 14, you should wash one another's feet. Now, does Jesus mean literally we should all be washing one another's feet? Well, I hope not, but I don't think so either. Is he saying, you know, you should have the heart of a servant um, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, with the community that you live in, in at your place of work, in your family, towards your spouse? Yes, he's, he's saying that. Is he saying... Um, we should actually serve, like not just, not just have the heart of a servant, but we should actually serve in the place that we work, in the people, with the people that are around us, in our church. Yes, he's saying all of that. You know, we, we wonder, you know, uh, you know, in a big way, like what is my calling in life? What's the thing? What's this big thing that God wants me to do? And, you know, Jesus just goes right to the point. It's like we, we think more magnificently and like big, like, you know, Billy Graham. What, what an amazing man he was. And we think in those terms, by the way, Billy Graham passed away, in case you've been, you know, living in a mushroom box, you know, this last year or today or this week. And uh, what an amazing man he is to be able to transcend all of the cultures and all of the leaders and to be so beloved and, and so relevant and so influential in his time. He's with Jesus. But we think about, you know, what God has for me in, in those kind of terms, and yet, really, the essential thing is that Jesus says, you should wash one another's feet. You know, the gospel says that we're saved from our sin because of what Jesus has done. And, and sometimes we think, you know, 
Salvation is all about like getting a tra- this transaction. I get rid of my sin, and now I'm okay. I'm going to get into heaven. It, it's much bigger than that. You know, Jesus didn't just die for our sins. He invites us to follow him. And in following him, we must become servants. Paul echoes this in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a list for you to do. Uh, and in Titus 3.8, he says to Titus, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, and these things are several statements about the grace of God and the redemptive work that Jesus does in us. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. You know, when we serve, We are fulfilling what Jesus has done in us and we are following in his footsteps in the way he has called us. God has called every Christian to serve. Secondly, the call to serve is not canceled out by position or circumstance. That call to serve is not canceled out by a high position or a particular circumstance. We're never above serving. Verse 13, Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I just did it, Jesus said, and I'm your Lord and Savior. He was never too far above serving others. And he did say, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you should be a servant of all. Verse 15, I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Verse 16, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master. Just in case you've risen above the work that I've done, disciples, you're not, you're not all that in a bag of chips. You are just like me. And you know, when he does it, this is, this is super cool. When Jesus washes their feet, you know, he takes off his outer garment, which, you know, it's partly, you know, he doesn't want to make a mess, but... Um, in verse 4, notice he said he, he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And he's taking on the posture of a servant. And in fact, he's probably removing all of these robes, anything that would identify him as a rabbi, as the leader of them. He, he strips himself of that. And when he washes their feet, he's, he's dressed like any other servant. So when he played the part, he played it fully. So he was never above serving. No position is exempt from that. And then also, you look at his situation, there's no circumstance that long-term kind of eliminates us from, uh, it gives us some type of exemption from being a servant. If anyone would have a buy on this, Jesus would. He's in a high-stress situation. He has uh, a week he is facing in which he knows that his time has coming, John 13, 1. And what did he know about that time that was coming? He knew that he, uh, first of all, would be betrayed, that he would be unfairly tried and unjustly convicted and then executed. And he knew that Peter, the most boisterous one in the crowd at that time, was going to deny him. 
He also was under great interpersonal tension because verse 2 of John says that the devil had already prompted Judas. So Judas is sitting with him. He's among them. And, you know, every indication is that Jesus washed his feet too. So Jesus doesn't distinguish between the deserving and the undeserving. Imagine what it was like to be in that group and knowing that there is a betrayer. If anyone would get nixed off the servant list, you know, I'd be washing those feet and go, oh. Um, that the timing of all that says, get focused on yourself. Like, suck it in, circle the wagons. It's remarkable that Jesus doesn't do that. But what's also remarkable is that these guys that had been with him for three years and had seen him live and, and serve and feed and be compassionate toward and take time with and get out of his, you know, out of the typical box, that these guys would need one more reminder about that. That's what's really remarkable. And it, that's not a critical remark on them. It's just, a, to me, it serves as a demonstration of how easy it is to get, to veer off from the essential calling of Jesus' honor to be a servant. And when we lose sight of that, we just start chasing all kinds of other things. And you know what happens? It's like we're just missing opportunity after opportunity of touching somebody as Jesus would in you know, not only when we're doing that, not only are we missing the clear calling, the fundamental calling on a Christian, but, you know, all of us, like, we have a date where we're not going to get any more opportunities, and that day's going to come, and we're going to have missed so many opportunities and perhaps have regrets. You know, Jesus' actions here in his words leave no room for exemption because Somebody is undeserving because I'm too busy, because I'm above it. We have a call to serve. And, you know, it, it isn't just the calling. This is my last point, and we'll wrap it up. Serving also leads to growth and joy. Serving leads to growth and joy. It's so important for us, not just in the calling of what God has given us, but what it does to us. You know, Jesus concludes this object lesson, verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I mean, there's a, dis there's a distinction between knowing them and doing them. And there's also the, the result that Jesus brings out that the blessing, enjoying what God has given us, experiencing God's hand on our lives and being filled with inner joy to be blessed comes from actually doing them. Can you still be a Christian and be self-centered and all focused on yourself and about your own personal bet betterment constantly? Um, can you do that in your marriage? Yes. Can you do it in your place of work? Yes. Can you just be a total, totally self-serving person and still be a Christian? You can. It's just you will never experience the joy and blessing that God has designed 
for you to experience. And you know, the Christians that I know that are fully alive, fully alive in their faith, excited about what God is doing, they are ones who are rolling up their sleeves and touching other people. The thrill, the thrill in being a Christian is in actually being a Christian. Not just knowing Christian, being a Christian. And you, it's true of anything that you do. Think of anything that you love. Do you love football? Do you love Excel spreadsheets? Do you love... I actually learned to love them as a division chief in the fire department, you know. It's so beautiful uh, how it adds it all up. <laughs> Other people made them for me, but I really did learn to enjoy them. Uh, you might love surfing. You might, li- might love mountain biking. I just listed all the things I love. Um, uh, you might love golf. And, you know, the fun in any of those is actually doing them. You know, we had a memorial service here yesterday of this, just, I want to say, a beautiful man, John Hustis, uh, who was just an amazing dad, businessman, uh, Christian, served in our children's ministry. Uh, you know, the wolves of cancer took another one too young. And his son, Bob, who used to play guitar for us, they lost their salvation and moved to Carlsbad. And it's like, <laughs> so I think the summers in Temecula taught them what hell was going to be like, so I assume that they, will, they are fully Christian. But anyway, Bob told stories about his dad, and the thing that he brought out was how much he loved golf. And, you know, I mean, he was always watching videos about golf. He was reading about golf, Golf Digest, you know, all these magazines about golf. And, um, you know, he was always practicing in front of a mirror, his golf swing. Can you imagine if, like, all he ever did, he also played golf. That's what I want to say, because that's the fun part. And all that practice, all that study, all that examining and working on it, it's also you can play golf. And, you know, he even told a story about how he got pulled over DUI because he was practicing his golf swing, with it, and he was driving with his elbows, and he was swerving. And the cop pulled him over, and he said, I'm not drunk, I was practicing my golf swing. So I don't know if that works or not, but evidently it did. So the man loved golf, but if all he ever did was read about it and talk about it and get in a small group about it, and like go to a class about it and listen to podcasts about it, it would be no fun. The fun is in playing golf. Now, some of you would deny that. I know you're golfers probably. Every golfer here, I've heard that golf cannot be that fun. You know, Mark Twain said, a nice walk ruined. And uh, I always get stressed out at that through the windmill into the frog's mouth shot, but... Evidently, golf can be fun. So, you want your Christian life to come alive? You want to ignite what's happening with you? Jesus said, you'll be blessed if you do these things. Do you, you want to see your marriage come alive? Then, Quit making a list for your spouse and start serving them. Do you want your workplace to be a place you look forward to going? Then when you go, go with the spirit of a servant 
and actually serving that employer that is paying you and serving your coworkers and making their jobs easier. You want to see your kids stop whining about everything that they don't have and what they don't get to do? Stop indulging them and teach them how to serve. I get an amen on that. Sorry, kids. <laughs> don't blame me. I'm just preaching. You want to recapture the joy of your salvation and get the thrill? Because for some of you, I know, the thrill is gone. You want to get it back? Don't just sit and take in and stagnate. Touch somebody. Give out. Put yourself in a place where you really need what you're learning so that you're desperate. And you know what? God will make you alive again. You want your church to be a place where you're thrilled to show up and you don't walk in the doors with a critical spirit? Then serve. Roll up your sleeves and make an investment in what God is doing here. And by the way, I just want to say, I know, I know I'm getting a little preachy here, but sorry. Um, you know, serving is not Bible study. Serving is not listening to podcasts. I know some of you listen to my messages over and over and over again because you have insomnia. But <laughs> that is not what I'm talking about. Play. Play the game. You know, at the beginning of this passage, Jesus, or John records that Jesus uh, showed his disciples the full extent of his love. And he did it by serving. And if you want your spiritual life to come alive, if you want your workplace to come alive, if you want your marriage to come alive, show the full extent of your love by accepting the call of a servant. You know, next week we talk about how to be equipped to serve. Uh, if you feel underqualified, it's going to be for you. If you have no idea what your strengths are, you need to be here because we're going to talk about what those strengths could be. If you're intimidated, you, you don't think that you're ready, or you, you, you just like have some hesitancy in you, we're going to talk about how God has, a, has gifted each one of us. But the only way it happens is if we accept in the beginning that call to serve. You see, deeply rooted faith is, it produces servanthood. But it also is the pathway. Servanthood is also the pathway to rooting your faith deeply. Don't take it from me. It's right there in red in your Bible. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray.